You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Going into vacation two weeks ago, I felt, I felt a need for a deeper encounter with Jesus to transform my mind and comfort my heart. And so I decided that I wasn't even going to look at my phone for two weeks. I was going to put it in the glove compartment of the car and not even touch it. And I lasted for three days, with the exception of responding to my cell leader coordinator, Howard, because you should always respond to your cell leader coordinator. But it ended up being too hard not to share the beauty of some of the things that we were seeing, plus my mother was freaking out that, Nobody was calling her back and that maybe we had fallen off the earth. All of that was my excuse to pick up the phone again. But those three days were kind of hard. And they were instructive and really fruitful for me for getting into some deeper space with Jesus. So I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of solitude tonight. Not out of my great success or holiness, because remember I was going for two weeks and it ended up being three days, but out of my conviction and experience that we need solitude, we need solitude with Jesus all the time in our regular life in the city in order to experience and to witness to the work of the Spirit in the world. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with technology. That was just the way, the the thing that I tried. I also took along my favorite book, which is The Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen. I read this when I became a Christian in my early 20s, and it had a great impact for me and I, I on me, and I thought, I need, I need this basic stuff again to have that encounter with Jesus. And so a lot of what I'm going to say tonight comes out of um, that little book, which he borrowed from the desert mothers and fathers of the Christian faith. Um, They were people who went out to the desert, literally, um, around Egypt and Syria and uh, what's now Palestine. Um, In the 4th and 5th century, after Constantine made Christianity a state religion and everything, like, came indoors... And, got, and, and they felt like their faith got domesticated and programmatized, and suddenly, instead of having this encounter with the living God you know, and a life in the spirit, they were doing this thing. And they wanted to like stop doing the thing and actually relate to God. And so their, um, their solution to that was to go out and so they stayed in caves like this, and they led a really simple life of like routinized tasks, um, you know, it was, their, their food and stuff was pretty meager. You know, the desert can be seriously unforgiving. Um, but this was their way to learn how to pray and to find solitude with God. And I'm, I don't think we all need to do that. I don't think that's like the path to holiness, obviously. Um, but I like the stuff that they wrote down about what they learned. And so um, we'll learn a little bit about their writings tonight. Because, and I, I think that we need to, um, because I think that we experience some of the same kinds of mind and heart entangling temptations and challenges with living our faith in the world. 
as they did. And, and maybe it's even harder for us. I don't know. The world still prefers darkness to, to light, as Jesus said it would. Um, and so our identity, our sense of self, I think, is always at stake. We are vulnerable to the compulsions toward constant affirmation, fear of failing. We seek comfort in all sorts of unsatisfying ways. And Nouwen says that, that these compulsions are, are the basis of the two main enemies of the spiritual life, which he would say are anger and greed. Anger being the impulsive response to the experience of like not getting our needs met or not getting what we want. And I think some of us feel this all the time. Some of us are mad at ourselves a lot for not being the people that we want ourselves to be. Some of us are mad at others all the time, for quietly, of course, for not giving us what we need. Some of us are mad at God. And it's, now one would say, it's all connected to this greedy, false self that the world feeds by telling us that we should have whatever we want. And I think we particularly uh, face this in the United States. So we listened to some TED Talks and podcasts in the car since we had so much time. Um, we were taking a road trip across the country and back. And, and one of these talks was about how the development, with the development of the internet, our attention is the world's greatest commodity now. So whoever gets our attention these days holds a lot of power. Yeah, Carl could be giving this talk. Um, this is what everyone is buying and selling these days, our attention which is really part of the core of our human experience. So there is, they're really like buying and selling us. Um, you know this if you search for something on YouTube, you'll get all these, uh, you know, the algorithm is designed to pick up on your interests and desires and take them one step further. If you search for Donald Trump on YouTube, you're gonna end up with white supremacist stuff, seriously. Um, if you're looking at camping gear, you you could end up um, you'll end up with like stuff about Everest, you know. So like, which is like a really expensive high end camping adventure, right? The 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 internet always you know it, it takes it's trying to take people take people's desires one step further. It's kind of like an adult binky, I think. gives gives you a little shot of something that you're interested in and keeps you rel relatively satisfied without the real thing um, because it feeds our longing for more. There's always more. Other researchers were saying that um, the smartphone is psychologically like carrying a personal slot machine because you're always like, there's always the question of like, what am I gonna get? You're like, who's gonna text me? What could, I, what could I find out? What could I learn? And it's all manipulated by advertisers, even in our relationships with each other, because it's based on this premise that we need a third-party intervention now to even communicate and connect. You know, like, who, who goes to their neighbor's house and just knocks on their door without texting them first? Good. Keep doing that, Ellen. The, that premise is so accepted that online advertising is bigger business than movies, baseball games, and adventure parks put together. This is an old study, but it said that an average, the average person checks their phone 70 times a day and switches tasks 500 times a day. And that habit is really hard to change because 
in one study, 20,000 people agreed not to use their phone for one week. And the end result of that study was they were only able to shave off an average of six minutes a day from their phone. And by the way, the less you sleep, the more you probably check your phone. So because of all this, like how our, our minds are being changed, our attention is being changed, you, you're, you'll probably only listen to me for half of this talk, for 10 minutes out of the 20-minute talk. And that's if you're really trying to pay attention. We're literally being trained to interrupt ourselves like minute by minute. So many people report that they either feel constantly distracted or constantly like they're missing out. I think as I was listening to all this, it made me feel like people are really starved for reality, for, for like eye contact and patience and like love and like the ability to have a conversation uh, and, and stutter your way through it and say something in less than 120 characters. We're, we're humans, we need time. And on a larger scale, these researchers are saying that our, our lack of ability to focus keeps us from coming to agreement as a society about like big problems because we, we can barely focus on one pro concentrate on one problem for very long. So again, I'm not, I am not against the internet or technology at all. I think everything can be, be used for good. And we, we even keep coming up with fun ways to keep planting the church through these means. But I am wondering about how we're going to have enough attention to develop a deep life with God and a vibrant mission with each other. What's happening with our attention? How are we going to have our attention on God? I, th I think our minds are at stake. Just like the desert mothers and fathers knew, you know, long before smartphones were invented, they felt like their minds were at stake too. So how do we develop that deep life with God to experience his peace and presence like we were singing about and, and to reclaim our minds to be transformed? Well, I think the desert mothers and fathers would say that we need a daily practice of solitude and silence and prayer to put some attention on our needy hearts and God's desire to meet us there. And I can't even uh, put a picture up of what solitude looks like because it's not just a person being alone in some quiet, beautiful place without their smartphone. It's not that. So I'm just going to leave this blank screen right there. Solitude is not a private therapeutic effort where we can't get bothered by others and just like get our muscles massaged in the corner of the ring. I think what it is, is is doing whatever we need to be to be alone with God for a time every day so that this old self that always, get com always gets comforted by the binky, whatever that is for you, can die. And so the new self can be reborn. And this is like, this is really the place of conversion, I think, because it happens in this encounter with God. That's the purpose of solitude and silence, so we can um, encounter the loving God who offers himself as the substance of our new self. So I think in my experience, and I know in many of yours, we have to kind of, we have to move toward the pain to do that, 
and we have to get rid of like the the scaffolding for some time. We have to do something different so we're temporarily in a place where we have no friends to call, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain us, no books, videos, mean memes. Just being naked before God, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. I think that nothingness can feel so dreadful at first that it makes us want to immediately run back to the friends, the work, so that we can feel worthwhile again. And sometimes the longer you try and stay in that solitude, um, the more confusing ideas and disturbing images and wild fantasies jump around in your mind like monkeys in a banana tree. And it's really terrible. Like all the doubts and fears and desires light up in an attempt to run from that sense of nothingness and restore our false self. But I think the task is to persevere there in solitude until the seductive visitors get tired of pounding on our doors for a little while. And the struggle is real because the danger is real. We could spend all of our lives you know, defending against the reality of our needy condition. Or we could accept this glorious truth that Jesus didn't come to call the, the virtuous, the people who had it all together. He came to call us broken, needy. And so this is the place that I learn prayer. I often return to this really simple ancient prayer. Some people call it the Jesus prayer. Um, and you don't have to say the whole thing. Um, you can just say a little, a little portion of it. But it's just one of the small, repetitive kind of prayers that are that that are this way to pray with your whole heart that I'm gonna talk about in a little more, a little later. But I wanted I wanted to bring it up now because connecting with God is the whole point. Of, of this discipline and silence and solitude. John says that the word was made flesh so we could behold God's glory. And I think we need a little bit of that, that encounter every day. This is how we come to realize that Christ, who lives in us as our true selves, is right there with us in the midst of the doubts and the fears and uh, the neediness and the compulsions and the struggle. And that's where the transformation begins. And so the desert mothers and fathers would say that we need silence. We need some like actual silence to make the solitude a reality because we live in this noisy, wordy world. Like I sometimes I run and um, I like to run to music, but there's a certain point where I have to just turn the music off and just be quiet in order to pray or even really hear my own thoughts. I listened to a guy talk who had been silent for 17 years, and he said that it took him a whole month of silence before he could actually he just hear his, his own thoughts through the muck. I don't think we need to be silent, silent that long, though. I think, I think we can start with a little discipline. And I think it's not any harder to find silence in the city than it is elsewhere. Um, because we're talking here about a silence of the heart that comes out of this great, 
pregnant, creative silence of God that points to a glorious future world. The desert mothers and fathers said that silence is the mystery of the future world. And I see this in, in us. And then that's why we talk about the church being the presence of the future. The silence of the heart that reveals the mercy of God that is taking us right into eternity. I see that in many of you. And I think the church is called to demonstrate that God is making all things new and will keep doing that. And we do that by just reflecting this creative heart of God. Silence also keeps us on the journey. I think it makes us pilgrims by um, keeping us moving. Like when we, when saying something would just get us tangled up in something not good. And silence also guards the fire within, the life of the spirit in us. And I think those of us who want to witness to the presence of God's spirit at work in the world really, really need to tend this fire. Um, and that's why these guys went out to the desert. I can compare that idea to like um, if when you take a shower in the, in the winter and it's cold out, you shut the door to keep all the, the hot air in and somebody comes and opens the bathroom door. It makes me so mad. Because then all the hot air just like goes out of the room and you're, you're cold in there. We, ha we guard the life of the spirit in us like that with some silence. And again, this, when we talk about the silence of God and the kind of silence that the, the desert mothers and fathers were going for, it's not absence um, or emptiness or like silence that would come out of shame or avoidance or guilt. It's really, it really comes out of God's presence, this fullness, this um, being encompassed in the love that created and recreates the world. I was, I was kind of hit with it on our trip um, because uh, I kept playing this song by Switchfoot because Rachel told me that Switchfoot was a really good band and she was right. And this is the other band that I got banned from playing. I played it so much in the car. But this song, Only Hope, is about being able to like hear the song that God is singing over you and like laying your head back down. Because on vacation, I always feel like I got to, you know, I always feel the compulsion to like still work. But it's about, you know, laying your head back down and so, so that you can hear. God singing over you, and it talks about the stars, like, singing over you, and I saw a lot of great stars on the trip. I love to sleep outside, and then I listened to this TED Talk about this scientist talking about sonification and how the you can actually listen to the frequency of the stars now, and when you do that together, when you listen to a clump of them together, it really sounds, it's music. Um, it sounds kind of like this twinkling, and I wish I could study it enough. Maybe you should do that, Josh. Study it enough to, like, pick out a melody in there. But the point is that out of this great silence of God can come this unspeakable creativity and love, and I think we, we need to hear that from our Creator. The whole of Jesus' ministry um, pointed away from himself to the Father, who had sent him. And I like how Salvador Dali's Last Supper shows that. Jesus spoke not to attract attention to himself, 
but to show the way to the Father. And we, we can do that. I think we can point to the unspeakable mystery of God by creating containers like this meeting where we can listen to the loving and gentle presence of God. Like, I hope that right now you're not just listening to me, but you're drawn to the spirit of Christ in you, this, this inner silence where it's safe for you to dwell right now. And if you see a counselor through uh, Circle Counseling, a, a lot of our money that we share with each other goes into this fund where um, we pay for, we help pay for each other's therapy. I hope, if you're doing that, that's great. I hope what you're doing with your, what you're doing with your therapist even draws you into that healing presence of God. The silence, that, that work of the spirit in you in between sessions is actually what it's all about. I think much more than what the therapist actually says or doesn't say. So, um, this might sound like a silly example because uh, I was on vacation, but I needed to, there was a point in the middle of our trip where I really needed to remember this discipline of silence and solitude with God because I had a little meltdown about halfway through. Um, we were going through, we had just gone through Yellowstone National Park and if you, and we were also camping our way across and if you've ever gone to Yellowstone, it's like just, ridiculously beautiful like it has everything and it's so vast you you really need like two weeks to just like literally explore the roads like not even you know do all the fun stuff um and it just it has these like streams that you can like see through that just restore my hope <laughs> in the world and um anyway we were driving through it and um we, the, when you drive up through the northern, the northern entrance to it, you're, you're right in Montana in this area that is called Paradise Valley. And I didn't realize that. I was just driving out of Yellowstone feeling so sad that we didn't get to spend more time there because we, we just kind of saw the geysers and that was all right. Um, and then just kind of drove through because my ambitious husband had, has an itinerary of all the places we needed to go. And um, that we had agreed on. And so, but I'm driving out feeling sad and, and um, that we didn't get to spend more time there. And I'm driving through Paradise Valley in Montana. And it's just so like unspeakably beautiful. I just wanted to like stop the car and um, hang out by the river and read a good book and let Zach fish. Here's an there's, a, there's actually a little town called Prey, and it's right along the Yellowstone River there. That's what it looks like from the car. And in the, this was a moment that uh, I needed to stay silent, but instead I started trying to like work out my problem with Jeff, with poor Jeff who was trying to sleep next to me because he had been driving all day and was really tired. And... Uh, it didn't go well. I just should have. I just should have kept quiet because he ended up thinking that like I didn't want to like do the trip, and um, I I realized as I was kind of talking it through instead of having this silent moment with God that what I was really scared about was like I, I was getting into this fear and scarcity mindset that I wasn't like resting enough, 
And um, I needed to just pray because when I prayed, I, I remembered that this is what we planned this trip to be. We planned it, it to just be like uh, a little touch here and there to show the kids like all these cool spots. And um, also that there's really no, like rest is such a relative thing. I think we, we kind of spoon out our capacity and our love with each other like as if there's like some great limit to it where where whereas God has designed us to be like channels like this river where it just flows through and so when I prayed I could see my fear I could face my fear and remember what this trip was about and the rest of the trip was so much better so this all brings me to prayer um the real purpose of solitude and silence, because they're not for escaping. They are to be with God, which actually helps us to come to rest. The literal translation of the words pray always is to come to rest. So prayer is not thinking about God or even just speaking to God. It's letting the mind rest in the heart so that we can be with God in these deep places in us that really get bombarded by our fears and worries. So the desert mothers and fathers practiced this little um, style of praying that I just want to leave with you um, because I highly recommend it. They would say that the prayer of the heart, and, and by the way, heart has such, has um, come to have such a soft, mushy meaning in our in our context. Like we think of it as just like a place of emotion and sentiment. But what, when the Bible writers talk about the heart, they talk about the seat of the will. They talk about the place where uh, all of our energies flow out from, and and the place that is is most attacked by the evil one. And so. Uh, it's a pretty, th that's the place, that's the place to meet God. And so the desert mothers and fathers would say that we need to learn to pray in the heart, not just an intellectual, like saying the words, but the actual like being with God. And this is how they do it. They, they uh, repeat those short, simple prayers. I, I like the Jesus prayer, but it could be anything, any little phrase that, that comes out of your experience, a lot of people use the Lord is my shepherd. And then they have that that becomes uh, an experience of being shepherded by God way more than some kind of intellectual in insight about what God as shepherd means. There's something about saying about repeating a phrase that kind of helps us to focus and breathe and come to the center and create this little nest where we can return to throughout the day. The second thing that they would say is that it's all-inclusive. So um, this prayer of the heart should include anything, anything that we're going through. It, it should, we should do it in the midst of whatever we're doing. It doesn't have to be in some private, special place. And in it, it can include anybody. It's a way to actually carry one another in prayer. And so they would say that, that 
having a life with God like this is not a way to remove yourself from others by any means. It's actually a way to make more space in you to be with others, with God, and then in real life. Because then when you're with somebody who's suffering, you're not trying to just fix them. You're able to actually be in solidarity with their suffering. And then unceasing that the prayer of the heart keeps going in us even beyond our ability to say it ourselves. Like it's a way to discover that Jesus actually prays in us. The Holy Spirit actually prays in us and with us and through us. And um, if you try this little discipline, I think that you will find that. I want to um, close with a scripture, uh, a warning from Jesus, because I, I offer you this prayer style because I think that the challenges of following Jesus get harder as we go. Sorry that that's not, com that's not very uh, yay. And it's uh, the, 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 the challenges of our place and our time are really no joke either, right? A lot is happening, like, Oscar, like in Oscar Romero's time, a lot is happening in our culture, in our government, in our city even, that is just not okay. And as Christians, I think we're called to face all that with love and forgiveness and, and creative action and movement towards justice. So Jesus warns us about this. That scene, I stuck that scene up there from Paul the Apostle, the movie, because it's so good. I can't believe it took me like months to watch it since it came out. But that's us, uh, the Roman church is learning about love and forgiveness in really tough times. So let's hear this warning from Jesus. He says, take care that no one deceives you because many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed, for this is something that must happen, but the end will not be yet, for nation will fight against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes here and there. Many will fall away. People will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise. They will deceive many. And the increase of lawlessness, love in most people will grow cold. But those who stand firm to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I think that these words of Jesus... Um, have a really striking relevance. And it is our task to stand firm to the end, to, pro to proclaim the good news to the whole world, to hold on to Jesus who, who rose victorious from the grave. Henry Nouwen says um, that the powers and principalities of our world now not only reveal their presence in the unsettling political and economic situation of our day, but they also show their disruptive presence in the most intimate places of our lives. Our faithfulness in relationships is severely tested, and our inner sense of belonging is questioned again and again. Our anger and greed show their strength with added vehemence, and our desire to indulge ourselves in the despairing hedonism of the moment proves to be stronger than ever. It's possible that our own love might grow cold. Our compulsive, wordy, 
world has a firm grip on us and we need a very strong and persistent discipline not to be squeezed to death by it. But when we have been remodeled into living witnesses of Christ through solitude, silence, and prayer, we will no longer have to worry about whether we are saying the right thing or making the right gesture because then Christ will make his presence known even when we are not aware of it. And he, he closes with a little story about um, three monks who kept coming to see one of the desert fathers. And two of the monks would always speak, and, but one of them would, would never say anything. And finally, Abba Anthony said, why don't you ever ask me any questions? Or, you know, tell me about your life. And he said, it's enough, Father, it's enough to see you. And I think that, I think that about us. If we learn to know, if we hang on to Jesus in this way and learn to really know him and receive his strength, it will be enough to just see us. We won't have to have all the right words. We never could anyway. But people will know that we've been with Jesus. So let me pray for us that we could do that together. Jesus, I thank you for your presence in the world, your active, loving, eternal presence that is making all things new. Help us to see it even when we can't see it, even when we are despairing about the injustice and the blindness and um, even despairing about the ways that we get tangled up in that. Give us hope. Again this week, give us courage to hang on to you and to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.